let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions and we're back in your ears once again. The beer is in the glass and we're ready to go, but we're not alone, are we, Martin? Oh no, and it's been a while. I don't know how it come. It's taken so long to get this guest on the show, but... Lee from Brew York, welcome. Thank you. Absolute pleasure to be here, gents. It's a pleasure to have you with us, mate. And it only seems right that you introduce the beer that we've got in the glass. What, what are we starting off this week's show with, mate? Well, I wonder, what might we start with, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it could only be one thing, of course. It has to be the collaborative brew that we did between ourselves um, and Elusive. So it's uh, Red Dance and a Red IPA, which is our... Tribute to the original American imports that we were all drinking um, near enough a decade ago, I guess it would have been. Without further ado, let's let's get into it because it's sitting here in the glass. I can <laughs> smell it and I just want to get in. Cheers. Cheers. I've, I've had a cheeky sip already. It's tasting good. Oh, yes. Oh, I think the silence speaks volumes there. <laughs> now, now, I might be slightly biased. <laughs> um, but Maybe. it's it's been a, it's been a couple of months now, and every time I have it, it just keeps getting better. It it really does. The that the flavors change a little bit. Um, I, I, I think what what's beginning to happen for me with with it is it's it's moving from that hop forward bitterness that we had at the beginning, and we've now got much more of the malt coming through that that sort of like multi backbone that's really giving you the multi bitterness, and yeah, it's just um, like I say, I'm, I'm biased. Uh, it's a delicious beer. It it, re- it really is. Um, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to think I'd say that if I, even if I wasn't involved in the brewing of it. Yeah, I, I think um, what you aspire to with this type of style is to get a balance between um, the malts and the hops, and that's why I love this kind of style because it's all too easy to just throw loads of malt in there and accentuate that, or throw loads of hops in there and do something that's intensely hoppy. The, the real art of brewing, the, the real craft is to create balance. Um, and this style, I think, um, really does capture that kind of thing where you're trying to get the balance between the, the malt and the hops. And like you say, I think that profile has changed over time. I think it, it was probably a little bit more hop forward when we first consumed it. Um, and like you, I much prefer what we're drinking today. I think that little bit of time has definitely benefited the beer. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with both of you there. I think that the malt forward element is definitely coming to the fore. Um, you've still got that hot bitterness towards the back end of it, but you de- I don't think you've got that punchy aroma and flavour that we, we definitely experienced back in September now when we first had it. So, yeah, I've, I've, it's, it feels actually even more wintry of a beer now. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's almost more of a... It's almost more of a peppery bitterness now, whereas at, at the start it was it was very dry. It was and it was big, bold, bitter in your face, and to, to the point where I I really struggled when when we first tried it. I really struggled to remember a time when I'd had a beer quite as bitter as this, which which I know was one of the things that obviously we were aiming for, was it? Wasn't it, Lee? We 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 wanted it to be a bitter punch in the face. Mm. Yeah, and. Uh... I think perhaps what we were getting at that time wasn't just uh, hot business. I think there was a certain astringency coming through from the caramel malts that had been used within the beer. 
which I think is now softened as well as the hot character um, to again give more balance. This is reminds me more of the cask version we had on release now, whereas I think the keg version was closer to the can the first time back in September. I think the mellowing out of the beer mm. and the so- and I feel it was a little bit softer again, and this could just be perception, but this feels closer to the cast version now. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think we said at the time that we found the cask version softer. And before you said that, I was looking at my glass here thinking this is softer than it was before. So I, I think that absolutely sums it up. It has softened over time. And, and it, it wasn't like we, we we didn't give the cask version a good try either, was it? On, on, on that, <laughs> that, that, that evening when oh. you came down to, to the Vic, mate. I, I think we did all form that's justice on that particular <laughs> evening. Yeah, we did. And um, and just to be, you know, and again, hats off to my co-host for his due diligence. He went back the next day to see uh, if you could put yeah, a shot yeah. cask. Uh, well, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that. It was that I needed some tasting notes for it and I couldn't remember what I had drunk the night before. I couldn't remember what it tasted like the night before. So, so I did, I did go back on, on, on the following afternoon and even to the point where Sheena, the landlady was, how are you even drinking to today? And I was like, I'm, I'm dedicated to the calls. I, I, I need to get my tasting notes for, for, for our beer. Well, you gents certainly do have some stamina. I'm very much a one night wonder. <laughs> I, I can really go to town on that one particular night, but I'm not going to be there on the second day. <laughs> I mean, you know, when we talked about the developing the recipe and about just not letting people chuck in lots of hops, which is obviously making sure that Steve and I didn't just chuck in lots of hops. Um, I think what we found particularly interesting, even if we didn't always understand it all, was the back and forth that you and Andy were having by email to... You know, here's the starting point, and then a bit back and forth, tweaking the recipe and stuff, to the point where on the day, you and Andy were able to be fairly hands-off on the actual brewing side because you had got all of that balance written down and ready for the guys to brew it. And as Steve said so eloquently previously, we were allowed to press a couple of buttons and put some hops in. So, is that is that how generally these kind of collaborate? Because you've obviously done you've done collab again in recently, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. That is was, that uh, generally how these things work? Um, I, I think if you're the brewer, really your focus with the collab um, is to get all of that detailed and done before the brew day. Because on the brew day, you're not going to brew it; you're just going to be having a chat and drinking. That's uh, yeah. We we don't want to be doing the work on the brew day, so that that's the main focus. Um, and we'll let some of the um, more junior staff brew the beer while we observe and chew the fat and drink lots of beer. Yeah, to be clear, you clearly you didn't observe at all. We saw you about twice because you were yeah. I think you well, were short-handed yeah. in the warehouse on that on that particular day. Yeah, D- difficult time in the brewery. Unfortunately, our warehouse manager had to take some time off at very short notice, um, and I just fill in where's needed most. So yeah, I was the warehouse manager for the day. Uh, that's what I'm saying. So what I mean is that because you've done all that hard work beforehand, and I think we were there when you were transitioning between one head brewer and your new one as well. Yes. And they it was those two guys who took us through the steps, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I think 
Andy's very, very good at his craft. Um, and I have massive respect for Andy. So we, we discussed the, the grain bill in advance. He, he did a beer a while back called Level Up. And it's basically the same malt construction that that had. And he's done a couple of tweaks with his malt bill that I, I really liked. So in the US, you would brew with a lot of Maris Otter, which is a heritage grain, which is known for having a very malty character, but isn't really grown so much in the UK because it doesn't yield very well in the field. So we tend to use more um, higher yielding things like uh, Propino and so forth. Um, but those Propinos lack that kind of intensely malty character. So... Andy's way of addressing that, another's way of addressing that is to use a type of German malt called Munich, which kind of brings back some of that kind of really malty characteristics um, to whatever you're brewing. Um, and then in this style, I've, I've always used a couple of different types of crystals. I would use the one that's at the lower end of the scale, so it kind of delicately caramelly. And then I would use the one at the upper end of the scale, a dark crystal that's really intensely caramelly. Whereas um, Andy was saying, no, you should use the one in the middle as well. So we, we've used three different types of crystal to really give that added complexity to the malt backbone of this beer. So we, we largely went with what Andy said in terms of the, the grain bill. Um, and then I kind of constructed the hopping approach with input from yourselves, gentlemen. And I believe the instruction was, we want all the citra. <laughs> <laughs> that, that may have been one of the... <laughs> informed decisions that we came up with yes yeah so it is predominantly citrus there's a lot of citrus in there but then we use the hops that uh, andy and i know work really well in either dark or red beers so you've got the simcoe and you've got the centennial and i feel like i'm missing one um and columbus of course so, so those those but they're the big hops that as i think you said you know that these were the beers that a lot of us were drinking 10 years ago those early american imports so that these are the beers that a, a lot of people that will be at the stage of their beer journeys that we're at were were, were used to drinking back then and, yes. and have, have, have maybe seen some of those fall by the wayside over the years yeah, and it brings a little bit of a tear to the eye, doesn't it? Well, it it, it does when because I, I don't know about Martin, but when when I first tasted this, I was instantly transported back uh, a, a few years. It took me back to a moment in time, and I, and I know from reading a lot of the, the the comments about this beer that we've seen on Twitter, and we've we've been able to live that journey that a brewer lives in, in in terms of vicariously living through untapped and seeing what people are saying about your beer on untapped and that's been that's been really interesting because a lot of people were of that same sort of mindset that it took them back to a place in time that they feel has been a little bit forgotten and a little bit overlooked oh yeah absolutely um i think the pendulum has swung way too far towards the hazy and juicy critters excuse me, in the UK. Um, and it is long overdue to swing back the other way. We, we need to remember what our heritage was, or, or certainly our, our drinking foundation when we came into craft. It was not juicy and hazy. It was intensely bitter beer with more floral and resiny character. And the reward was that bitterness enticing you back in for that other sip. And I'm not trying to belittle modern juicy beer, it's just for me, my personal palate, I don't mind them. I'll have one. But then I find they would blend into one another, and I don't find there's enough in it to make me want to go back. 
which is why I like styles like this that do have decent bitterness and reward the return to the glass. But, but there is also that kind of trend of one and done these days, isn't it? There's a lot of people that will openly say, I'll only try a beer once because it, it's all about ticks. And I don't think, again, you, you know, speaking for Martin, I don't, I don't think that is, is, is either Martin or I. If, if we find a beer that we enjoy, we in, in, enjoy to drink that beer over and over again. And, and certainly with, with, with Red Dance, and, and once again, disclaimer, it's got nothing to do with the fact that we was involved in, in, in the brewing process. I have drunk a lot of this beer uh, because I've enjoyed it as, as, as well. Not just because it's like, oh, look at me, I'm drinking my beer. Wee. It's because I genuinely enjoy this beer. If I, if I if I didn't if I hadn't liked the outcome, there's no way I would have gone back time and time again to, to carry on drinking it just because it, it, it carries our name, so to speak. No, agreed. Um, of all the beers we brewed this year, and as you know, we're fairly prolific. This has got to be top three for me. And uh, Tom, our new head brewer, he thinks this is the best thing that we've made in his time with us. So yeah, you're not alone in sharing those thoughts. It seems that our work here is done. Then, in, 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 in that case, so, so now, now's now's a good time to ask that question, Lee. Is 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 this going to be an annual release? Can 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 we get you to commit to to making this an annual release? Has has it been received well enough for for you to be able to justify making this beer once a year? So, the way in which we would reach a decision like that is twofold: so critical reception. In which case, it absolutely ticks the box. Very well thought of, very well received. Commentary's been great. And the second one will be sales. And I regret to say that the sales have not been significant enough. Um, and that's because of the style, not of the quality of the beer. Um, so, no, it, it is not, at this point in time, penciled in to return next year. And, and I'm as disheartened about that as, as you are, guys, but I'm afraid the sales figures speak for themselves. And it, it really, for me, comes down to the UK beginning to, if not already having done so, falling out of love with things that are red and brown. It's, it is a sad situation, that is, isn't it, that there that there isn't enough of these styles of beers. You know, we've seen a little bit of a resurgence this year. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not going to say that we are um, trendsetters or anything like that, but there's been a lot of red red IPAs since we released Red Dancing, yeah. Has, hasn't there? I don't know if it's because you just see these things more because you've done one or you've seen one, or if... But No, I think you're right. I, I definitely don't remember seeing as many as there have been this year in previous years. Yeah. And and there's also been a big push this year. There's, I mean, certainly from the beginning of the year, there's been a big push for more brown owls as as, as well. And there, there has been a lot more brown owls produced. But I, I think I think you're right in what you're saying in terms of the UK beer market right now wants hazy and juicy. It, it doesn't it doesn't want red and brown because there, there's too much. I don't know. Is there too much of a tradition stigma attached to to that sort of style? Possibly. I think people look at brown beer and they think old man beer. Um, I think, yeah, maybe there is that stigma. They, they struggle to see beyond that. But for me, I'd love to find an audience big enough that would allow me to brew a brown ale every month because I love drinking them. It's probably top five styles for me. Um, like you two gents, I'm an incredible fan of Colonel. They are my favourite UK brewery. And nobody does the combination of malt and hops better than they do in the UK. 
Their, their beers are outstanding. Well, you won't get any disagreements on this podcast. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. But I, it's interesting, just going back to the, the earlier thing about, because obviously, you know, we, we, you know, for a lot of the time, us as consumers live in a bit of a bubble. And so obviously, as Steve said, we, you know, we have dipped into the world of Untapped just to see how the beer has been received. And generally, it's been a very positive feedback for people who've had it. And me and Steve had spoken about it before, saying, well, we both knew, the, the, you know, no matter how well received it is, Brew York are a business, your business that has gone five years, and you don't do that by putting out beers people don't want to buy. So there was, we, we had a feeling about that anyway. But isn't it interesting that sales is often maybe a more accurate reflection hmm. of what people actually want to consume than a small but maybe critical but small amount of people who are checking it in on on untapped or other rating websites but that's a really interesting thing that the sales haven't been quite as good and that's presumably all they're doing is looking at the website they see it's the red ipa they see the description they see the abv and go well that's not what we've come to brew york's website for so we'll move on to one of their other beers um, yeah, and, and I, yeah, the absolute truth. I wish that wasn't the case. Though I'd love for them to be visiting our website and thinking that they can get the the India stouts, the brown ales, the export stouts, the kind of things that Colonel are knocking out. We, we are known for doing really good dark beer. But do you think you've just got I too good at some of the other ones, like some of the the fruited beers and some of, the, especially the Tom Coco beers? Do you think you've almost got? too good and that's what people have come to you come to the, the web store for P- potentially um it's hard for me on the inside to to comment on that um yeah i mean they're definitely some of our biggest sellers so there has to be some truth in that um but yeah i don't think i would be the one to ask maybe i need to stop buying the uh the goose the goose lee and the goose willis and, and start buying some more red dancing although I, i've done a pretty good dent on that <laughs> But um, it's not to say it has sold badly. Um, it's sold out now, uh, but it took about two months to sell out, which for one of our beers is a slow-moving beer. It's it's still a fantastic rate of sale. I mean, it's got a nine-month shelf life on it. So even if you bought it last minute, you're still getting like seven-month shelf life. Um, but usually our beers would be sold out within a month. So, no, I mean, it's, but, it, but again, I, I do bring it back to Twitter and Untapped versus real life, and there's quite a difference between those two things in, yeah, terms, then, in terms of your sales, anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's the beer bubble, and then there's the even smaller bubble, which is the brewer's bubble. And this is our perfect kind of beer. The, the, there is beers that brewers want to drink and brewers want to make, and there are beers that brewers get to make. Unfortunately, the sales broadly dictate the latter. In which case, then, I'm going to say uh, thanks again, then, for taking that risk and doing the collaboration with Andy and letting Steve and I be part of it as well. Yeah, as I you know, that. Absolutely my pleasure. Uh, I've been a huge fan for years. You know that. I've I've listened since you joined the podcast, um, Martin, so... Yeah, it's it's been an honour for me to get to do this with you. Uh, we love that. Well, if you ever need us to help 
in any other way, any of your recipes, give us a shout. We 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 can <laughs> we can add any hot starting the letter C, right. and we can add all of it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll get extra citrus in. <laughs> no, I, I, I will absolutely echo everything Martin said there. That there, Lee, it's it, it was a great experience for us to go through, and we we understand that it was a big, big risk for you to take as business. It, it's great to hear that it eventually sold out, but it is a it is a very niche style. Uh, however, one that I will enjoy all over Christmas because I did take full advantage of your Black Friday <laughs> offers and and helped probably clear those last few remaining cans <laughs> from, from the shelf. <laughs> Let's get some final thoughts on 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 the Red Dancing because I, I, I do feel like Martin, we've we, I feel like we've been banging on about Red Dancing since August to to our listeners, and I think well, we they're have. probably bored of us talking about it right we now. Gave them, we gave them a bit of a break for about six weeks. Um, we, we did, yeah. I'm just I'm quite well, and I think the thing to emphasise is that especially now it's a bit softer, so some of those um, hard, not harsh, but those really prevalent hot notes have fallen away a little bit or gone more into the background. I actually think this beer is even more dangerous than it was before at that 7.2, because I would argue this is drinking closer to five. Yeah. And that does make it a very dangerous Christmas you're about to have, Steve. Oh, well, I think you got a few cans as well, didn't you? Yeah, true. I didn't buy <laughs> as many as you. But yeah, I just think I think because it's got a bit softer, a bit more rounded, a bit more like the cask version, which we said on the night was was probably the furthest away from what we were aiming for in our brief, but made it superbly smooth and drinkable. And that's what it's doing now. So, yeah, that 7.2 is well hidden in that beer. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I would echo that. I think with this kind of style, the one thing that tends to hold you back from necking it is the the level of bitterness. But now that's softened, it's made it, yes, quite dangerous. Very dangerous. Drinkable for the 7.2 that it is. And and I'll update people over Christmas just how dangerous it is <laughs> as, as well, if, if they want to know, uh, because there may be at least one day where I prove just how dangerous this beer can be. Could have the but, emoji roller coaster back. Yeah. It's well, again, the things the, I do for this show... <laughs> Well, well, what's the trail of incoherence in your social media? <laughs> Let's go to the opposite end of the scale with our next beer this week. This is a beer that I've been very much looking forward to trying. It is um, <laughs> Dreams of Brew York 2021. It's a cherry and cranberry sour coming in at 6.5%. And it's bright pink. It's a, it's a very dark pink and even the head has got a bit of a hue on it Steve. oh my word look at this yeah lee what are you doing to us here what, what are you doing, doing to me to yeah yeah well yeah I, I have to admit it would have been all too easy to avoid the sours steve but i think it's one of the things we do best so i've kind of thrown you to the side a little bit <laughs> That's, mate this is a this is a showcase of your beers as as much as it is martin and i banging on about how great red dancing is <laughs> 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 All right, shall we uh, shall we dive in, chaps? Please. Cheers. 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 It's not too sour. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was I was looking for the sour face. That didn't happen. Yeah. I, I was holding off on commenting because I wanted to watch the first. Is is this one of your beers that you put in that pastry sour category? Yes. Okay, now. Yeah. 
I seem to get on with those. It, it might be because of the other adjuncts maybe dial down the sourness a little bit for me. Yeah, that, that's absolutely the intention. So, yeah, the soured in the usual way, kettle sour using uh, lactobacillus. Um, but then you use things like lactose, maltodextrin. Um, you ferment them in such a way that they, they, they finish sweet. So you, the first thing you're going to get is the intensity of that kind of zing, the sourness, certainly with the fruits like cherry as well, you're going to get that zing. But then almost instantly, it kind of falls away into that sweet finish. So I, I find that really, really rewarding as a drinker. I, I love these kind of styles. Um, and this particular one, as is the season, has a little bit of cinnamon in as well. I was wondering, because I was, I was about to say, this just putting me in mind the dessert. So I think with the cherry, the sweetness and a bit of cinnamon. Yes. This is almost effectively coming up for a dessert beer kind of mm. thing. I think you were, it's a good way of describing it, that you get that... Uh, dark fruit hit and rather than that sourness and the puckering coming in it just goes into that sweetness straight away but what you've managed to avoid at least for me is a cloying sweetness it's a very clean sweetness good so i think that, that's quite good because you know the way it tastes initially how sweet it is you might think oh this could be a bit of a sugar coating on my my teeth here but it, it does, seems to avoid that no, I, I find these um, incredibly easy drinks. I mean, this is 6.5%. It's a sour, but even at that strength, even as a sour, this for me is sessionable. I, I will consume this stupidly quick. It's Vimto. Certainly quicker than I You've given us Vimto, basically, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I'll call it Vimto, indeed. I, I don't dislike it. Um, I, I, I like what's... <laughs> what... I'll, I'll be honest, you, you, you know. That's a win. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it there's a lot of there's a lot of flavors going on in there. I think I think that the the, the cherry for, for me is probably the dominant flavor, which I quite like as 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 a flavor. I, I like cherry in things. Um, I think the, the, the those additions that, that that's in there, there is a there is a bit of sweetness coming through. There's hints of vanilla in there. Thank th thankfully, I'm not getting any of the cinnamon, uh, which I which I'm really not a fan of when when that's included in, in in beer. It's one of the spices that that I don't look for in beer. But I would say you'd notice it if it was taken away. That's the sense I'm getting from it. A bit like when you're doing cooking, you might add um, a little bit of pepper or a little bit of salt. You won't overtly taste it, but you might taste it if it's missing. It's a good shout, yeah. yeah. I feel like I I can get a bit of it. And now that I know it's there, I think I'd miss it if an iteration came out without it. Yeah, in, in the same way that you would use ginger with rhubarb, and you wouldn't necessarily always taste the ginger, but it has elevated the flavour of the rhubarb. Although I will add that I've chilled mine almost to the point of freezing so, so that I could hardly taste any of what was going on with, with it because I was so worried about the, the, the flavour combination. <laughs> so, it, so it might be that as it warms, maybe some more of the cinnamon will come through. And, so you've, and, got, you've got like a Mr. Freeze. Yeah. So, and <laughs> I, I've got all, almost a slushy. It's that cold. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where we are with this. I love that I had you that scared that that's the lens. <laughs> Felt you had to go to <laughs> sour beer, sour beer, mate. It's, it's it's not my thing. It's 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 really not. While we're enjoying this, uh, Lee, let's talk about your your background uh, a, a little bit. So, how did you how did you first get into brewing? 
Well, that goes back a while. So um, I started homebrewing about age 15. So my dad was a keen homebrewer. Um, and back in those days, all you had was the option of like a, a tub of John Bull that you'd get from Boots. And it was this like syrupy stuff that you'd boil up some hot water, add it um, to that. Uh, you'd then add like one or two bags of Tate and Lyle and then you'd ferment it away and you ended up with something that tasted absolutely horrible, but it had alcohol. And you always convince yourself that the next batch would be better. But we didn't know then what we know now. So it never was any better, but you got drunk cheap. And as a 15-year-old, it avoided avoid getting ID'd anyway. So um, I was relatively popular, I guess, as a, as a teenager, because if we couldn't get in the pubs, it didn't matter, because I could make us beer. Um, I then kind of fell out of love with um, homebrewing at some point. I then got to meet my um, business partner, Wayne, uh, and it was at um, a stag do in Germany uh, for a mutual friend. And Germany, as we all know, is um, which style of lager would you like? So the conversation came around to to real ale because myself and Wayne are both real ale drinkers. We're, we're not particularly lager drinkers. Um, so it became very clear at that point we both loved uh, beer, in particular real ale. And then we met up um, some months later at the same friend's barbecue and Wayne had brought along some of his homebrew. And he prepared this using this new Australian method of brewing, um, homebrewing, uh, where you basically could use one vessel to do an all grain method of brewing. So like small scale, proper brewing, um, just without, without only having to purchase this one vessel. And I thought the beer that he produced was outstanding. I have to say, I did not know that homebrew could be of that standard. I wouldn't have known it as homebrew. His beer was exceptional. So from that point forward, myself and Wayne then spent most weekends either in his shed or in my shed brewing beer together. Uh, and eventually, some years after that, we were entering competitions. They were going well. Um, and then um, I had the opportunity to be made redundant from my career. Wayne was... Um, again, had the opportunity to be made redundant from his career. So I just remember a conversation in, in a pub that coincidentally is on the same street that our brewery is now on. Um, and we were having a conversation there. It's like, are you prepared to go to your grave and not at least attempt this? Because I'm not. I think we, we need, at least need to give this a go. And I think that's where the decision was made. That's where Brew York was formed. That's when we finally said, do you know what? Let's do it. Might not work. At least we can say we tried. What What was the pint count at that? that the point where <laughs> <laughs> you actually decided that it was going to be a thing. If it wasn't double figures, it would have been near. <laughs> it was a bit of a, a timing thing as well with your respective previous careers giving you an opportunity. But how far into your home brewing with Wayne had you been then oh a couple of years yeah um yeah maybe as much as three years actually okay so you've been playing about with recipes doing the home brewing at weekends in each you know one of each other's houses and stuff like that um had you had any like what was during your home brewing time and you said you were entering competitions and stuff presumably you must have been getting some good some good feedback and good reaction from other people, even outside of your close circle of friends and family, that made you think when the time did come, this was worth doing. 
Yeah, um, I, I remember one competition that we both entered, and Wayne won't thank me for saying this, but um, I, I won that particular competition, um, and my beer was described as being of a commercial standard. So I think that gave me, it gave Wayne the confidence. And th there was another occasion, actually. A, a friend had a wedding, and they'd managed to negotiate with the hotel that they were allowed to bring a couple of beers in themselves. So they approached me and Wayne, um, and said, would we make them some beers for their wedding? So Wayne made them two beers. I made them two beers. And that's essentially the first time brew yacht beers were ever served. And what were those styles of, of, of beers that you made for the wedding? Because um, I'm imagining it wasn't a pastry sour. No, it wasn't the pastry sour. I, I did an <laughs> India stout, though. Um, yeah, I did a, an India stout, and I did... Um, an American APA, American Pale Ale, which I called Hoppy Returns. <laughs> nice. To fit in with the wedding. Yeah, we, we even did our own little branding and everything, but yeah, not not the puntastic stuff that we have these days. I think it's wonderful that your, your friend asked you and that people seem to go through it quite well. And that must have been a real buzz when that happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure Brew York exists today without that... Um, so, yeah, thanks to um, Andy and Hurley, who will not listen to this because they're in Singapore um, now. But I suppose you guys are international now, so they may do. We have listeners um, in Singapore. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, oh, it, no. it, it, it may be them. <laughs> it may be you, them. You, you never know. Well, yep. Do I? It could be, actually. He is obsessed with Untapped. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he's into his beer podcast now. Uh, but, yeah, the, they allowed us to do that. Uh, the feedback we got there was fantastic. Um, and then within a few months to a year after that was the opportunity that we had to move away from our former careers and, and do this. Um, but, yeah, without that, I'm not sure we would have done it. I mean, it's, I mean that is in, where – so you're in the pub. You and Wayne have made your plans, or you've at least agreed over nine pints that this is the way forward. But then – where did all the, the ideas for things like, you know, even just the name Brew York? And then the obvious question is, where did, you know, the, the puns, where, where did they spring from? Was that always something you had already done already? Well, if we start with the name Brew York, so Wayne, by his own admission, he, he would say he's, he's not the most creative individual. He's, he's incredibly brilliant at all the other stuff, the, the business management side of stuff. Uh, but by his own admission, he, he would say he's not the most creative, with one exception. Well, a bit harsh to say one exception. But he, he did come up with the name Brew York. Right at the very start, he, he was adamant, we must call it Brew York. Um, and I had nothing to offer. I was like, yeah, that is absolutely brilliant. Of course, we're building a brewery in York. We're largely going to make, at this point, we were talking about largely making American-inspired beers, to call it Brew York is a genius name. It has to be. Um, although over the years, people are still ask us, why do you call it Brew York? And I'm like, do, do I need to explain this? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. dear. Uh, but as to the puns, I mean, we never set out that way. Our, our original core range, our original branding, uh, it was all about this kind of fusion of um, the English and the American and the, the York and the New York and it had this kind of like totemesque type thing, and a lot of it was animal derived. Um, but 
our access to raw materials in our first year was, was not great. We, we, we began to do what we were doing midway through the kind of like harvest year. Uh, we came to market at a point where there'd been like droughts in the US, there'd been flooding in like uh, Australia and New Zealand. So hop availability at the point at which we launched was actually the year worst it's ever been in, in our existence. So our access to hops in particular was, was terrible. We couldn't get you sexy citrus and so forth uh, or mosaic. Uh, we had to get like um, less sexy things like summits and crystal and so forth. So we had to construct our original core range around hops that um, are not what most people would have been using. And that was a plus in that it made us different. We created beers that were different to what everyone else was doing because we weren't just jumping on the Citra uh, bandwagon that everybody else was doing at the time. But could those styles arguably over time stand up against all those beers that were including the Citra and the Mosaic? Uh, well, the story tells itself, no, they didn't. So what we've done is we've gradually evolved our core range over time and we've done all of these seasonal beers and some of them people have just latched onto. They're like, we love that one. A fine example would be rhubarb Streisand, a rhubarb milkshake pale. When we first made that, we're like, yeah, hopefully it'll sell. One-off beer, there we go. And it'll be just uh, archived afterwards. But people absolutely loved it. And we then brought it back and then it sold even quicker. And then we did it again, it sold even quicker. And then over time, we just had to put it into the core range. It still astounds me today that um, a couple of years ago, I was still doing the brewery tours. And, and, and I would have a group of lads in the brewery tour, and they're like, Lee, 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 it's the rhubarb on the bar. It's like, really? You, you've come here to drink my rhubarb, <laughs> my rhubarb beer? Wow. That, that's amazing. Do, do you think that you hit... Um... Do you think you hit a certain point in time with that rhubarb Streisand that that's what people were looking for uh, at, at the time and it, it just struck a chord with, with a lot of people? Yeah, possibly so. I mean, our journey has been a, a weird one in that we, we started out in a, a city which is very much a caste city. It's very much an old traditional city. Uh, craft was barely a thing at the point that we founded the brewery. Um, so we had to start doing Casper. After a little while, we did some bottles. Um, and then over time, we gradually evolved into doing the keg and to doing the cans. And, and the keg beer was what Wayne and I did in our homebrew days. So over time, we gradually got to do what we really wanted to do. But we had to kind of bring people along first by doing the cask like Maris the Otter and, and other pails and uh, as such. But yeah. Uh, but uh, eventually, I think we brought people along. We started to get the local community into what we were we were doing. And then that eventually st allowed us to start to spread our wings and uh, take those beers further afield. It still seems bizarre that in such quite a short space of time, really, as a, as a commercial brewery, that groups of people were turning up and they were looking for your rhubarb milkshake beer. Just... Uh, you know those sort of all, all those words together you know we're talking about the beers we were drinking 10 to 15 years ago and the things that influenced us i can't imagine rhubarb milkshake 
those kind of words all coming into the same sentence when I was talking about beer. No, and at the start of our journey uh, as Brew York, absolutely that was not part of the plan. Um, that's not where I originally saw us growing, um, or going, sorry. Um, I, I think we gradually grew in confidence. So Wayne and I did do some unusual stuff, but at the start we felt we had to play it relatively safe, I guess. And then over time we got weirder and weirder. Um, I think I think it makes sense. I mean, like you say, you are in an old town. It's very traditional. And whether that be the local market or tourists, it probably stick still ticks the, the traditional box. Um, so starting with the more traditional styles and more dis- traditional dispense method was probably still the right way to go. But it still seems like it's still a relatively short period of time. If you look, I mean, if you're on your web shop now and some you see the, the range of beers you've got and, you must when you put those out, and you like I said, you put you put out rhubarb Streisand again, more popular again, even more popular, to the point where it now becomes a core beer. It's one of them you can get all the time practically. Does that sort of blow your mind at times, Lee? It, it, oh, absolutely, it, it, it does. In, yeah, I mean, Tom Coco came about in the same way. I know it's not your thing, gents, the um, Tonka bean and, and coconut. I seem to remember a podcast a little while back where those particular things were named as the things you'd least like to encounter. But no, thankfully, there are enough people out there that do enjoy that kind of thing. But but that is entirely the point of what we've gone about doing, is, is to create this broad waterfront where you might not like the Tonka-containing beer, but you might like the bitter. And you might not like the American Pale Ale, but then you might like the Rhubarb Milkship Pale. So it's really been about, yeah, creating that, that as I said, be a broad waterfront um, of eclectic beer options. And for us to get to brew the beer, that makes our job way more appealing. I mean, we all know about these super successful breweries where 80% of their output is one beer. How much fun do you think that is for the brewers? At our brewery, every day you're brewing something different. We don't have one beer that represents a massive proportion of our output. We have big successful beers and there are things that we brew regularly, but nothing that kind of dominates our schedule in that kind of way. We, we get to do all of these weird, weird and wild things all the time. And for, for me, that makes it way more interesting. And I hope for the people that brew the beer for me now, that makes it way more interesting. Lee, do you think that you ever run the risk of being considered a little bit gimmicky in, in, in terms of some of the beers and the styles when, when they're linked with the puns? And th- does that ever worry you in terms of your output? Um, I, I have to acknowledge that there is truth in what you're saying. So, yeah, I think people would pick up some of our stuff and they would think that. Um but the branding, the name is only one element. That's what gets the beer in your hands. I think if we've achieved that, okay, round one, one. I think what really keeps you coming back is once we've got your beer, our beer in your hands and you consume it, I think the sheer quality um, and difference of the beer is what will keep you coming back. So, yeah, if, if you think for a one-off it's gimmicky, fine. I, I can live with that. Uh, but I think the quality of our beer speaks for itself. That's that's a good point, actually, because if, if we take, in particular, the beer we're drinking now, 
it's not a beer that I would ever pick up off the shelf. And obviously we are very, very grateful for, for to, to you sending this that beer to drink on the show this week. However, as somebody who drinks beer regularly, enjoys beer, has a little bit of an understanding of, of, of beer, even at a sort of hobbyist level, I can a- appreciate the, the the quality within this beer. It, it may not be for me to go on to Untapped and to give this a great rating, whereas others may do, because it's not necessarily a style and flavours that I like. But at the same time, I can sit back and I can say, right, okay, so this is a cherry and cranberry sour. I'm getting cherry, I'm getting cranberry. There's a little bit of sourness in there. I read the other ingredients. I'm picking some of them up. I'm, I'm still not getting the cinnamon, even though it's warming. warming. Um, so that it's may def- or may not it, come. It's definitely there, Steve. Okay. But I can appreciate the the, the the quality of the brew. And obviously, having been to the brewery and, and gone through the brewing process with your team, and, and all joking aside, you, you know, on the brew day that we were there, your team led the brew. That there was no way you were going to let us run loose on your brew kit and just <laughs> try and pretend we knew what we were doing. <laughs> so, so your team led the brew, but they took us through it. So there was an educational yeah. point of, of it for us. And, and we can see the attention to, t- to detail that you pay at every step of that brewing process. So I, I get what you're saying in terms of sometimes you've got to let the beer do the talking, haven't you? It's not, it's, it's ultimately it's about what's in the can and is it any good? It's, it's not about the clothes that it's wearing on the outside. It's, it's is the product inside any good? And, and this, this is a good beer. Yeah, the, the clothes are important, though. I mean, the clothes are what makes you look in the first place. And we, we decided that even before we'd made our first beer, we decided whatever money we had to start the brewery, we had to put a decent amount of it into branding. Because we weren't exactly part of the vanguard um, of uh, craft in the UK, but there were plenty of established breweries already in the UK. So it was a competitive market. So we knew we had to put some money into the branding to ensure that whatever we did stood out on the shelf. So the clothes are important. That's what's going to get the beer into your hands in the first place. But we were always confident once we got it in your hands that you would enjoy the contents of the can or the glass. And the branding, especially now, even with the different pictures and different backgrounds, and that, but there's that stripe down the middle, which says brew york and it's very distinctive and a bit like um you might you know talk about say andy elusive the cans will always be different per beer but there's a defining element that will always say elusive for andy brew Mm. york for you guys there's it's so evidently your beers despite the fact you're playing not just with the words but with the pictures that back up the words on your puns as well so uh What's a taxi one? Uh, I'm trying taxi. Yeah. So you, but you're still playing with the different elements, different pictures, but it still looks like yours straight away. So those cans on the shelf, regardless of the beer, still look like Brew York. So presumably there is one person or one company that you're using all the way through. Uh, it's it's one company. Uh, I'm proud to say it's the same company we've worked with since the very start. They're called uh, United by Design. Uh, they are based at uh, the other 
um, side of the city to us. It's a very small team, but they've been fantastic to work with. Because it's a small team, it means we get a very personalised service and they're very accommodating to our often um, weird requests. I'm never allowed to live this one down. We once did a, a goose, so like a German salty sour, um, and I don't know why on earth I called it this. We called it Kylie Goes Lassie, like Kylie um, Selassie. Um, and we had Kylie riding Lassie on the can. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I wish well, the listeners could see your mouth open, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's possibly not the only time you've flown a little close to the sun, though, is, is it? Because there, there's been a number of trademark issues shall we say over over some of your beer names and and also of of late you may have fallen into the gaze of the portman group a little bit as 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 well haven't you yeah okay which one of those would you like me to tackle first (laughs) which one do you want to be most polite about (laughs) Uh, if we go the the trademark thing it's fair to say as you've done there that we, we fly close to the sun we walk the line would be another way of putting it um, but what we do is we don't try and infringe copyright. We, we don't try and cash in on what other people have done. What we're trying to do is to give our tribute to whatever that given thing might be. Um, and we don't generally intend for them to become established beers. It's just a one-off look. This is a nod to a thing of our childhood. This is a nod to some music that we appreciate. It's supposed to be that kind of thing. And for most, it's well-received. They take it in the sense that it's meant. Uh, and we move on. Um, others, generally ones backed by big, powerful entities, like, I, I can't say it, can I? I need to be very careful about what I say. I need a lawyer in the room with me right now. Um, let's so, let's help you out here. So when, when we were going through the naming of Red Danson, we, one of the first things we said to you is, obviously, both Martin and I are massive Marvel fans. Can we do something in that arena? And you were like... Absolutely not, no, because there's a you're talking Disney, you're talking Marvel, and and you cannot go into that area because they'll be all over it, which is why why we backed off of going down that route. But I can appreciate what you're saying there that it's if it, it's it's sad that it's a situation where, as you say, you're looking to do it as a as, as a tribute to something from the past or to something that you enjoy, but there's a there's a company behind that saying well actually you're trying to make money off of our fame and we don't want you to do that yeah and unfortunately some of the things we've tried to give a nod to um are now parts of huge conglomerates or organizations who employ rooms full of lawyers to look out for this exact kind of thing and those rooms full of lawyers have to justify their existence by finding things like this and stamping on them. So, fine, that's what they do. We should know better. Um, And it's a thing I would like to be less of our future. I I would like to, as we just said in the previous section, I would like to do more of our beer speaking for itself than having to do the puns and the um, cartoony things that do nods to retro 80 stuff or whatever whatever it might be. because, yeah, to, to flash back to the previous conversation, I don't think some of our beers necessarily get the credit that, that they deserve because of our, our punistry, 
our, our, our chemical approach to our branding. I want to come back to that point, but I also want to talk briefly about the fact that you have also uh, got on the wrong side of the Portman Group recently, Lee. Yeah, and I believe we've largely concluded that with them now, so um, I think I can talk about it. Um, and it was about this beer here, which I've, I've not prepped this. I have an underfill of it sat here in my little bar at home. So um, for the benefit of you without video, it's called Nugget the Friend and Me, which is clearly based on Toy Story. And some of the artwork on it has things that are kids' toys. So someone reported us to, I think they're called Alcohol Scotland, and then from that it got referred to the Portman Group. Was this a beer? Was this a beer in the supermarket? So it was or is in Sainsbury's, um, and whomever had reported us for apparently putting kid like or, or kid friendly images onto the beer as a means of attempting to entice children to drink a six point six percent pastry stout that's in the beer aisle. That's in the beer aisle. Yeah. Um, See- it's an interesting thing, though, isn't it? Because, and I may be wrong, but most of the Portman Group stuff I've heard about have been stuff in supermarkets, as opposed to anywhere else. It's it's predominantly Waitrose. It seems to be, and it it predominantly seems to be Waitrose in the west of England. There seems to be one serial offender that goes into Waitrose, finds beers on the shelves, and then complains about them to the to the Portman Group. However, he had a weekend in Scotland recently. <laughs> yeah, and he found some Brew York beers in, in Sainsbury's. <laughs> Could be. Or maybe he's trying to, uh, or they are trying to spread it geographically to make it less obvious. Who knows? Isn't that weird, though? Because these, these shops, so let's say Waitrose and Sainsbury's, because they're the two we know about recently. There's no way that they're not thinking about this either before they put them on the shelves. They, they know there's a risk for doing this kind of thing. So... It's a beer, clearly marked a beer. It's clearly in the beer, wine, spirits, Isla, or however they've marked it up. Um, your beers especially are very clear about things like the ABV uh, and, and other, other aspects of it. So, yeah, I mean, so what ultimately was the judgment? Well, basically the way it plays out is you, you don't go to the point that they have to express their might. You just have to back down. And so, yeah, we're, we're not going to make this beer anymore. We've sold everything of it that we intend to sell. Um, allow the supermarket a certain amount of period to sell that product. Um, and then, yeah, we'll make sure it doesn't reappear. This is the bit I don't like. So they are an organisation that is funded by the industry, but it's funded by the macro part of the industry. And the only people they ever seem to go after are the smaller minor players that over time are going to inter- eat into the market dominance of the macro players. And they've created this independent regulatory code that all the supermarkets sign up to. So if department groups say your beer is not suitable, uh, if you don't comply with what they're saying, you will not be allowed to sell any beer into a supermarket, not just that one. So they have huge power, but it just annoys me and, and others that um, it just feels like they're the right-hand man of the macros. 
I don't ever see them going after the macros for anything. Highlights how preposterous this is. And this is something you flagged up um, when we discussed this previously, Martin, is think of the time of year we're in. We've got all these beers with pictures of Santa on. Well, if Santa isn't a kiddie-friendly image that potentially is enticing children into drinking alcohol, then, then what is? So we're going to ban every beer that has Santa on? I find that highly unlikely that's ever going to happen, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's bonkers. I mean, obviously, we, we spoke to the Portman Group probably, I want to say, like three to four years ago, wasn't it, Steve? Easily, yeah. And it feels like they have definitely become uh, more proactive than they were previously. So I think at the time we spoke to them, their main beef had been with Brewdog and Tiny Rebel, the two that I was aware of at the time. It feels like they're definitely up their game or there is definitely someone or someones who have now worked out it doesn't take too much to get something changed or taken out. Because they only need one complaint, don't they? They only need one referral. It's the scale that's ridiculous. So if you want to have something discussed in Parliament, you're going to need a thing with 100,000 signatures on it. Yeah. If you want to have Portman have a beer dismissed from a supermarket, you have to have one person make one complaint. And to be honest, I think that's, you know, if if you wanted to make that your life's work, then you probably could. If that was your, if that became your hobby, to go around looking for it, you could probably find it quite often if you really wanted to. So ongoing issues with trademarks and avoiding upsetting people aside, what's what's next for for, for Brew York? Obviously, you've seen significant growth over the, the last five years to, to the point where you've now got. The, um, the the tap room, the small brewery in Leeds Town Centre, the beer hall uh, as well, which is a fantastic space that, that you've got to use there. Plus, you've now got your brewery just outside the city centre, which is which is much much bigger and allows you to do a lot more. Where do you go next with what you're doing with the brand and your beers and your your, your presence in, in in the beer scene in the UK? Um, so I suppose the first thing to mention is that we are revising our core range. Uh, we have to acknowledge that the trend in the UK market is constantly for the next thing now, whether that be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and we have a very large core range as things currently stand. We have nine things you classify as real ales and we have one lager. So 10 is a very, very large amount of beers to have to consistently prove uh, um, brew as well as doing all of your seasonal stuff as well so we're actually going to be shaving three off the roster and i'm sorry to say gents that big eagle is going to be one of them i i, I don't uh, know what it was but as you started introducing that i had real worries that that's where you were going with that statement yeah it's not the only one you're not going to be happy with me about martin because another one is goose willis oh, for fuck's sake <laughs> stop stop the podcast that that's it we're we're we're, we're done. Um, and we're discontinuing time traveling taxi as well, which is our 5.4% hazy. But we're doing this so it allows us to have the opportunity to be a little bit more creative. And this is where the silver lining is to the clouds. Uh, because Big Eagle exists in our core range, it means I don't have the opportunity to do other West Coast. So we are dropping it from the core range so we can do west coast seasonals and the first one we're going to be doing is going to be with thornbridge and the second one we're going to be doing 
is going to be with Stormbridge. Hopefully, that's a nice silver lining to that little bit of bad news. Speechless here. Is, is, is either of those, because I know Thornbridge of, of late, particularly for their subscriber boxes, have been playing around with um, Jaipur and, and, and collaborations on, on Jaipur. Is, is one of them a, a riff on Jaipur in any way? Um, in a sort of sense. So what we've, we've agreed is um, Big Eagle that we have is more of the classic interpretation of the West Coast style. So it's quite malt forward. It's, it's got a little bit of crystal in there. Whereas Jaipur is the more modern interpretation of the West Coast style, which is right, really clear, crystal pale um, with use of more modern hops. So we've decided we're going to flip that on the head and Thornbridge is going to come and brew with us and we'll brew a modern West Coast IPA at ours. And then we're going to go to Thornbridge and we will brew a more classic, more malt-forward West Coast IPA at theirs. I'm all in for that. I'm just going to say that. Obviously, I'm going to stick my flag. Uh, Steve's speaking for both of us there. Yeah. Does, well, does this you... mean, in, in, terms of, in terms of Big Eagle, you're you're removing it from the core range. Does, does that also give you an opportunity to take it back to a, a, an annual release back at its seven point whatever percent? Or is it, is, or is it gone forever? Well, I have thousands of cans that say 6.4 on, so what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's, it's, it's good. <laughs> We're still going to see the 6.4 version then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for what it's worth, I agree with you. The stronger one was the better beer. Um, but we brought it in at a more sensible strength to conform with a particular competition's rule and rules and to make it uh, more marketable. But I absolutely concur the 7.2 was the better beer. Okay, so, but does that mean that, will Big Eagle be a seasonal? Yeah, we'll bring it back once or twice a year now. We're just not going to have it available all the time. Okay, and any of the gooseberry-inspired beers, will they be seasonal? Uh, and again, similar. Um, so Goose Willis will come back once or twice a year. Uh, we feel that the sours is an area in which we're strong. We do lots of them. There's always going to be something available that kind of can scratch that itch, if you like. Um, but the sales were good. They weren't huge. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for it to continue in the call end. Um, and it'll allow us to have more flexibility to do more of the seasonal, more of the more out there stuff that we enjoy doing. So how many, so your core range will what be down to seven? Is that right? It would be six plus a lager at that point. Yes. Six plus a lager. And does that six include like what you have on tap offering? Are we talking about your six core cans? Oh, right. So, so is Maris the Otter considered a, a seasonal or a core? Maris the Otter is a, a bit of an exception. It's considered a seasonal. We have it available relatively regularly, but we like to restrict it to the York market. I mean, yes, obviously, from our point of view, our mutual point of view about Big Eagle, that's a shame. Um, but lining up a couple of Fallbridge collabs does sound very interesting. Um and I can I can definitely see why a gooseberry beer wouldn't necessarily tick everyone's boxes. And I'm quite surprised I fell in love with it quite as much as I did. But I think it's one of those things. Once you once you fall in love with love with something like that, it's very hard to shake it. It's again going back to that red dancing conversation. I actually think you you're doing the right thing. 
you you are following what make what sells, what what shifts the units should drive a lot of what you do, but equally, from what you're saying, that means you can focus on those core range, but also it gives you that flexibility to do other things as well. So you still keep the interest going. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't ever want to give the impression that that's the only thing that drives the decision. Um, and I, I hope you would think or realise from the rest of what we do that, yeah, that's not the way that we're driven. Oh, no, definitely. But I, I think it's weird stuff at some silly prices. But you've got to be a business still. So, yeah, I, I mean, I can definitely get it. And you've got you've got to move with what the market wants as well. So if, if, if you know that people want more one-offs because it's that one-and-done culture, then reducing your core range absolutely makes sense because you know you're only going to have a certain number of people that will ever continue to buy that core range. But if you're constantly bringing out new beers at the same time, you're appealing to that part of the market that is looking for something new, something new, something new every week. It's, it's, a, it's, it's one that, for Martin and I, it's not what we want to hear, but for Brew York as a business and for you as a business owner, it's absolutely the sensible decision to make. Did you did you ever envisage yourself in this position, Lee, where where you'd have to move to making a, a, a business decision that goes with what the market wants rather than with your heart as a brewer in terms of what you want to brew? It's not the first time we've had to make what might be considered relatively ruthless decisions. We have killed off our bestseller three times in our history because we did not think it fit with who we intended to be. So we're not driven by the finances in that regard. It's, it's more so about how we want to be seen, how we think we should be seen. Um, but yeah, this, this, this one cuts deep because Goose Willis is my favourite beer in the car range. But all the same, we've made the decision to discontinue it. So I, like Martin, are just going to have to appreciate it all the more when it does come around every six months or so. But is there also that point as well that, as a consumer, if I, if I know I can only get Big Eagle once or twice a year, I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to savour it more on, on those occasions than maybe now when I know it's always there and, and I can always dip in and out and, and, and get it whenever I want. But knowing that I can only get it in limited quantities in the future it, it becomes one of those and it becomes one of those things that personally i think is missing from you or, or has been lost from uk beer at the moment it are those big annual releases that we used to get really excited about they they're just not there anymore they've they've fallen by the wayside as more and more breweries like yourself have become more conscious of what the market wants rather than what you want to do as a brewery yeah you, you did a, a podcast or at least a poll on this a while back and i think you were saying that um the cannonball one used to be the thing for you the human cannonball yeah but even with that that there's not the enthusiasm there that there once was well they uh, don't Ma magic rock don't even do it anymore they, they, they seem to have just quietly tried to erase it from their history it, it's almost like Martin Dickey trying to pretend that he never worked at Thornbridge. It's, it's that kind of a erasing of history that's that, 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 that's going on. You'd think he'd be trying to erase his history of Brewdog, wouldn't you? Really? <laughs> at the moment, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 yeah, that that's exactly what 
I'm, I'm, I'm pointing at Lee is, 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 is that I used to get really, really excited about Unhuman Cannibal. And it was a once a year big beer release. And, and there'd be a lot of people would get excitement about it. There'd be all these events and everything. And, and that's just that's just got lost now. And, and that might be part of them having new ownership. And obviously they are very much a business now. And everything they do is about the bottom line. I, uh, and, and there are, there are just a handful of other releases now. I think, I think the only one that probably drives the same sort of excitement now is um, when Siren released their Caribbean chocolate cake ev every year. That's, that's probably the only other thing that gets the same levels of excitement now. But to think that in the future, I might not be able to get Big Eagle all of the time, but at the same time to think that I know it's coming a couple of times a year, that's something to look forward to. Because you do get to a point where you drink the same thing over and over again, you do stop enjoying it, and well, you get a bit blasé. Yeah, I'm just thinking because obviously the Imperial Eagle came out fairly recently as well. Does that mean we should have a big eagle sank in between and the Imperial Eagle, and you release them all at the same time once a year? Oh, are we going to get an eagle run to to replace the cannonball run? Um. Because well, we have a six point four big eagle, we have a nine percent imperial eagle. It feels like there should be something in between, really. There's, there's a black eagle as well, isn't there? Isn't there a black eye, black black IPA version of it as well? Yeah, there's a black eagle, which is a six point one, no five five point eight percent black IPA. Uh, we've done a New Zealand hop version before called Hass Eagle. Um, Hast was the explorer who discovered this prehistoric. Uh, eagle the the largest eagle that ever roamed the earth big enough that it could have picked up a small child so yeah, yeah we've done that one before um in the very original core range we had a beer called little eagle which is why big eagle is called big eagle um but that had sriracha ears in it so i had to condemn that oh, to uh, mm. uh, so what we could have is a series called the eagles have landed which would put you uh, on, a, on, on a bit of a line again you can uh, have that one on us mate <laughs> oh, brilliant. With some sort of eagle in like um, camouflage clothing or something. Exactly. <laughs> we'll just leave that one there. We'll leave that one there because um, <laughs> I think we have, a, we have finished our, our beers. Steve has officially finished a 440 pastry sour. Yeah, I, I started getting more of the cinnamon towards the end. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a little bit, a, a, just, a, just a touch of just a little bit of warmth coming from that cinnamon. And that that's the point at which it tipped for me. I, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed probably the first two thirds of it when it was still quite cold. And, and, and I was getting a lot of the, 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 the tart fruitness when it warmed and, and, and some of the other flavors started coming through. That's where it became a little bit past me, the Gaviscon for, <laughs> for, for, for me. Uh, um, it is, it is what it is. I'm, I'm never going to be any different from with, with, with sour beers. They, they just, they don't sit well with me. I would still argue it wasn't overtly sour, in my opinion. I mean, it was fruity all the way through. I definitely got the cinnamon come through as well. But again, I would actually say that the cinnamon was the right side. So if we reference back to those Christmas beers we were talking about with Father Christmas and other stuff, where they just chuck whatever's left at the back of the cupboard in there. This feels like there was actually a measured approach to how we're going to put in the cinnamon in this beer. Uh, Steve's right. It definitely became a bit more prevalent as it warmed up. But again, I didn't have a problem with that. Um, 
it was still that dark fruits which was doing it for me i mean the dark the dark fruits were coming through all the time and the bit of tartness or dryness or even sourness that was coming from it felt like it was very much from the fruits that were involved in the brewing and the sweetness and the other adjunct you added did balance it out quite nicely i'd actually think that compared to some lactose infused dark beers i've had this was a better use of it so yeah i enjoyed that and like i said we didn't get steve sour face at the start so i mean tell it as a win oh i'm i'm very much taking that as a win if um, steve has consumed 440 mils of salad although i i thought steve that your toast were changing i i think if i went back a year or so in the podcast history you, you wouldn't have even entertained drinking this kind of thing at least you're giving it a go now. Agree. I can't say, I can't say any more <laughs> than, than, than agree. I, I, I think I had one of your pastry sours last Christmas, uh, actually, at, at, at the Vic. And I really, really enjoyed it. So we, whichever one it was that you released last Christmas, um, I did enjoy that one. And, and that's, that's unusual for me to pay pub prices for a can as, as, as well. That, that, that really is. Uh, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it. it I, and I, I agree a little bit, Lee. And, and obviously, you'll 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 know as a long term listener to the show. My my tastes are gradually changing. I am still a creature of habit and will always revert to type. But I am willing to experiment a little bit more and try some 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 new things. I think I think when when Em listens to this show, I just think she's probably wishing that I'd do the same with food. As, as well, and just, just try something that wasn't beige occasionally. Oh, do you want us to do a beige beer special then? I think we'd struggle, wouldn't we? Uh, yeah, I suppose these days. Beige on, beer. On, on, on that, yeah. But what a beer, beige that... beer, beer Doom bar? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, in Hartford, just thinking about it. Yeah, no, not, not, not bottled or canned Doom bar. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not happening. It, it, it's really not. Talking of beers uh, that are full of flavour and aren't beige, though, brings us nicely on to what's going to be our final beer this week. This is um, well, Willie. You, you again. Tell us, tell us about the beer while we open it and get it into the glass. So, second mention tonight for Andy of Elusives. Uh, um, Andy Elusive for a number of years now have been doing an annual project called Collabageddon, where they bring together. I think it's twelve breweries. Um, and each of those breweries has a home leg and each of them has an away leg. Uh, and then they brew a selection of 12 beers. And then on the same weekend each year, they're released in multiple venues around the UK. Um, so we were privileged to, for our home leg, get to work with Fine Ales, who have, have long been on a pedestal for us. One of the finest UK brewers, um, I, I loved listening to your podcast with Jeremy um, a week or two back when they were talking about the history of, of fine, is it 20, 20 years they're now coming up on? Yep. 20, yeah. Um, so one of the first adopters of Citra in the UK. I always thought it was between them and Oakham. So it was interesting to hear Jeremy actually a bit. You know, Oakham did it first, but they gave us the tip off about the hop, Citra. So, yeah, um, always been a huge fan of what Fine Ales have been doing. So we actually had a little word in Andy's ear, and when he told us the breweries that he was working with this year for Glabageddon, uh, we said, is there any way you could possibly make that 
that uh, little um, bingo ball fall on fine ales for us. <laughs> um, and flukely, it did. So, yeah, we, we got to work with fine ales. And uh, Powell, who is actually part of Origin Projects, he, he's the main guy that does the, the brewing for Origin Projects, which I think you've featured a couple of times recently. Uh, he came, came down to York and we brewed um, what we called release the Cranachan. Cranachan, of course, being uh, a traditional Scottish dessert made with raspberries, oats, whiskey and honey. So we turned that into a 10% milk stout. Um, and I hope we've managed to get all of those flavours to come across. Um, and we sourced um, a lot of Scottish ingredients to make this as authentic as we possibly could. Um, we've got, um, yeah, honey that's come from Scotland. Um, I forget the name of the provider, but they, they just won some taste award for this honey. Um, the raspberries are from Scotland. Um, can't think if anything else is from Scotland, but um, yeah. Um, and then we, we took some barrel chunks, some whiskey barrel chunks, and we put them into our infusion vessel. And then we infused the whole beer um, across those uh, barrel chunks. Um, and we think we've landed somewhere near to the Kranachan dessert, or at least it reincarnated in stout form. Okay, I have questions, but I need to taste the beer first. Uh, yeah, I mean, the aroma is just pouring <laughs> out of it. So, uh, yeah, Cheers. I'm really looking forward to diving in. Cheers. Cheers. That's luscious. It's um, it's all raspberry. Yeah, but for me, that's that's the dominant aroma. That's that's what I got the minute I opened the can. It's the first flavor you get as well. It's the dominant flavor. It's it's there. You get the sweetness, then you get the tartness. Then there's there's some other things going on. Then there's a little bit of warmth on the finish. Um, again, first thing I'm going to say, if if you had to ask me blind what the ABV on this was, I wouldn't <laughs> be telling you it was nine percent. It, it drinks a lot lighter than, than the 9% that it sits at. Yeah, because it hasn't got that sort of thick, viscous body either, has it? No. So the mouth feels very light. Um, there's a little bit of dryness with it as well. So it's like it's uh, almost like that dry chocolate, dry bitter chocolate as well. Um, yeah, that's superbly easy to drink. But the question I have is like, I'm trying to picture what's a barrel chunk and how do you put that into your vessels without killing your vessels? Uh, so you don't put it in the vessels. We, we have a, a separate infusion vessel. So it's um, maybe about two metres tall by about yeah, a metre wide, say. Um, and it has a little basket inside it. And you put whatever you want to infuse something with inside that basket. So it stays inside that basket. Ah. One hose to the outlet of your vessel, to a pump. You then pump into this infusion vessel and then you have a hose coming out of it, going back into your vessel at another port. Uh, and then you do that over a period of hours. If we were using coffee, that might be like two to four hours. Uh, for other things, it can be like a couple of days. So you constantly just have the pump recirculating um, your beer across the infusion matter uh, to try and extract those flavors. So yeah, we, we took chunks that were maybe like two inches by two inches, like chunks of barrel staves, so originally a barrel. Uh, we sterilised them with um, um, steam or very hot water, um, and then we put them into the, the, the bucket, um, sealed it all up, and then, yeah, just had the beer constantly recirculating um, across the wood to pick up similar wood character, 
which is difficult in that short amount of time, but then to pick up that kind of barrel-y whiskey character at the same time. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, that's similar to like when you put stuff in a washing machine, you might put it in a pillowcase or something else to stop it ruining that. Because I can imagine barrel trunks obviously isn't going to work in a vessel, is it? You've got to kill your vessel if you're putting it into the actual liquid. No, the, the, the idea with using chunks is the larger the surface area, the shorter the contact time to get the same extraction of flavour. So this is what Innocent Gun up in Scotland, for example, is based on. So you can have barrel-aged beers, so that means the beer has to have resided in a barrel for whatever period of time, uh, or you can have wood-aged beers um, or wood-infused beers. Uh, and that means that you've taken bits of barrels or bits of wood and you've done it in a, a shorter period of time to attempt to achieve the same effect, which is what we tried to do with this because we only had a finite window to produce a, a beer for Collab again. I'm not getting so much of the woody whiskey notes, but I think partly that's to do with what Steve said earlier, but the raspberry comes through so much, which does make it, again, a very dangerously drinkable beer. Uh, yeah, I mean, going back to what you were saying about the Tom Coco, obviously Steve and I have said quite openly it's probably not our uh our favorite i think it's the coconut element of that tom coco rather than a lot of the other elements of it the balance you get in your beers for the abv that you churn them out at is pretty incredible and that seems to be definitely amongst some of the best brewers in the country that seems to be something where it's being nailed more and more often because if i went back through our podcast history especially over the last couple of years a lot of the beers steve and i have now rely their ABV, I would argue, but the skill of what they're making. Now, if you have a 12, say, say you have a Goose Island Burby County style, that doesn't hide it at all. That's, that's not trying to hide its boozy, viscous element. But this is only 5% behind it. And I would say this drinks, if you give this to me on cask, I'm not sure I would know it was towards this sort of level. Yeah, that would get messy, wouldn't it? Quote of the year, that, from Martin. It's only 5% behind a 14% beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that almost <laughs> illustrates what I'm saying, though, doesn't it? It, it, it does. It, 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 and and I, I agree, actually. If, if, if you do go back to some of the early shows that, that, that we did, I, I think there was... And, and we're talking, what, five years ago now? we're talking a phase of beers that the minute you taste them, you were like, Oh, booze. That, that's yeah. all I'm, oh, it's all I'm getting from that. But there seems to have been a, a wave within UK brewing where that there's been uh, a lowering of, of that kind of boozy feel to beers. So that there, there seems to have been, people have got, have begun to understand more about how to brew a big beer, but not make it taste big, so to speak. I, I, I definitely think there's a skill in doing that. Whether it, whether it, whether it's a, a skill which I'll be thankful for. Dangerous? <laughs> no, it's, it, I, I think it's a dangerous practice. Because you, you know, you know, you end up drinking pints of what, <laughs> like like we proved on the um, Red Dancer launch, you end up drinking many many pints of a seven two point two percent beer 
you're going to feel it the next day. Well, some of us are. You don't, Martin, because you're an absolute fucking machine <laughs> when when it when it comes to hangovers. But, but those those of us normal humans will the following day feel that. I feel like someone's going to try and test me on that one day. <laughs> and, and says the man who returned to the same pub for midday the following day. Yeah, that's true. Actually, moving on then. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really, I think that's a really good point to move on, Steve. <laughs> yeah. While, while we're enjoying Release the Kranaken, let's get into this week's question. Opinions, 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 opinions. Which is, when considering a beer to drink, does original, originality sway your decision? So 226 votes for this. Yes, 31%. No, 69%. We'll come on to our views shortly, but let's hear from some of our listeners first of all. From Robzilla at Rob Many Handles. Competency and availability over originality. I'd rather have something polished than wacky. Besides, most being made and sold is probably a clone of something else. From John Moore at The Beer Idiot. If I'm in a bottle shop or speciality bar, then I think the desire of having something new goes a long way. But I'm also not opposed to having a beer that I know is reliable if the new beers aren't particularly my favourite styles. Mark Newman, Mark Beer Art. Interesting question. And the answer is yes and no. Love original beers, but also love the staples. Depends on how I am. From 4P at Longhead23, I voted yes, but originality is only one of many things I consider, and only sometimes. Sometimes I'll just go and get a few IPAs and not put much thought into it. Other times I, meet, I might see something that's more original, and it will pique my interest. From Great Hop Forward at Great Hop Forward, it can sway my decision and depends on the context. If I'm considering a new beer with food, pairing is the main consideration. If in a pub, just for a pint, I will gravitate to what is new. And then from John at Beer in the Suburb, is there such a thing as originality in beer anymore? I feel like almost everything has been done. I'm excited to try the new beers currently being brewed with the new wet hops from Yakima Chief. Less excited by anything that involves weird stuff just for novelty value. From Richard Lindsay, originality is a saturated world. Impossible. From Simon Clark at Simon Carbon. Original, original, originality quite often results in stunt beers. I'll go for tried and trusted breweries and styles first and foremost. And from um, some guy called Andy Parker. <laughs> Not for me. As much as I like to try new and innovative things, I'm always drawn to old favourites and classics. From crafted and curated? Hmm. I think maybe I'm a bit safe with my beer choices. I would like to be a bit bolder, but worry about being disappointed. And then finally, from Sean O'Reilly at Uncrulier, there was a time in my beer journey when originality was important to me. Now I just want a beer I can trust based on my own experience of the beer or a brewery or of that of people whose judgment I respect. There's a lot of interesting views in there, but there's one point that kept coming up again and again, which was, is anything original anymore? And, and that's that's quite an interesting point for, for, for me. And it's it's one that I'm going to throw at our guests straight away. L Lee, do, do you think that that's the case? Do you think that everything is a clone of something that's gone before it? Or 
do, do you think that there are truly original styles? And I suppose the secondary question to that is, how do you, as Brew York, approach that? Yeah, I, I totally take on board the point. It, it's hard to be original these days because, I mean, broad, by uh, sorry, beer by its very definition is incredibly broad. It's, it's not like gin where you've got this restrictive set of ingredients that you have to work with and then you can just do a little bit here, a little bit there. Beer is, is huge in terms of what it can represent. Um, and trying to think of something that's not been done before in a world where people have brewed with beard hairs and they've made beers that taste like pizzas and all these kind of things, then, yeah, it's pretty hard to be original. So all, I guess all you can hope to do is to, to put your, your own spin on things and maybe once in a while come up with something that is truly original, but nobody's pretending it's easy. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of people doing a lot of things and it is hard to tread on fresh ground. Well, again, going back to the, the, the very start of our discussion on this podcast and the, the, the Red Danson, we were specifically going for a style that reminded us of a time that we first got into beer, it, it, essentially. So it's, it wasn't anything new that we tried to do with that, was it? It was like, how can we replicate these styles and these flavours that we were tasting five, ten years ago? And it's how we remember those styles. It's, it's, it's been hard to get recent examples. So in all likelihood, what we've done is we've created our reinterpretation of that style. So perhaps those weren't exactly as we remembered. Uh, Flavour is a hard thing to, to memorise. Thinking about your views, Steve, so obviously you can't vote on the polls. Do you think originality still exists in beer? I, I think less so now than, than, than a few years ago. I, I think there has been a trend towards the modern, hazy, juicy styles because that's what the consumer wants. And, and, and you, can't, you can't fault or blame breweries for producing those sorts of beers because they're, 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 they're going with what the market wants to drink. But I, I think we did, we did a show a few weeks ago with a very similar question where people were saying, well, if, if, if this week's release is a double IPA with Mosaic and Citra and next week's release is a double IPA with Citra and Mosaic, am I actually getting something new? Or am I just getting the same beer with the words changed around? And I think even on that show, I challenged back and said, well, haven't the Colonel been doing that for years? And, and I think we then had a discussion uh, about that. But I, I, think, I, I think you've got to go with what the market wants. So the market at the moment, the market wants juicy and hazy, and that's what they're getting. And, and that's what brewers are producing. And, and that's what the hop growers are producing. They're producing hops that give you more of those tropical flavours and more of those softer feels and less of the resinous piney notes that maybe you and I enjoy. And I, I do think that, I, I think now, originality in new beers, it essentially comes when you see things like a red IPA or a brown owl or a true West Coast IPA. And I emphasize the word true there because a lot, a lot of breweries still use the phrase West Coast IPA and they're still a little bit sweet and they're still a little bit juicy. And that's not what I look for in a West Coast IPA. I want, I want resinous. I want bitter. I want grapefruit. I want dryness. That's what I'm looking for. And yeah, I think, but again, as, as, as Lee said, you're at a point where you, you've got breweries producing beers 
with all sorts of adjuncts in them. I mean, I saw this one 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 this week that was a was a homage to the film Elf, which is which includes a, a dish that is eaten in 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 that film, including spaghetti, skittles, chocolate, maple syrup, and it's like, why would you put those ingredients in a beer? Well, because it's new, because nobody else has done that. So why wouldn't you put those ingredients in a beer? So is originality dead? Um, I know that wasn't the question. I'm, 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 I'm suppose I'm. You're, you're paraphrasing my, my oh, question there, Steve. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think it's it's dead. But to go with many of the comments there, I think it's difficult to not do something that hasn't already been done. But isn't it curious that? There was a there was definitely a high percentage of responses that said, "Is there anything truly original?" And then there was a large percentage of people who said, "I want to go for something I know anyway." Yeah. So let's let's go, let's go back to that bit. So when I'm out in a pub I know has good beer, there's more chance I'm just going to sit there and drink the one drink. But let's go back to what Lee was saying earlier in terms of where Brew York are going in the future. You're you're reducing your core range to to seven beers to allow you to do more one-off brews. I'm guessing you would put a lot of the beers in your core range as being versions of a style that are an original or a traditional style. And your one-offs are going to be, maybe they are going to be some of the more original stuff. That, that, that you can, you, you know, with the flavours that you can play with, Lee, and what you can do with flavours, you, you've got a huge, you've got a huge landscape there to play with. But at the same time, you've also got a, a, an opportunity to chase those trends as, as well. And if the, if the trend is going to become more hazy and more juicy, then that allows you to react to that. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, th- I think we, we do ourselves down. I think we do the industry down by saying that originality is dead and that there's no scope for expansion because who knew that the hazy, juicy IPA was going to become the thing that it's become a few years ago? That's a, a thing that's maybe a decade old, launched by The Alchemist. Um, the Black IPA, who knew we were going to put that spin on the IPA? But the Brute IPA, nobody knew that we were going to go ultra-dry in that and... God, everybody wishes we hadn't, because that's a terrible style. But <laughs> at least we're, in a, we're trying these things. Um, so the IPA, IPA is the biggest style in the world, and if we're still finding ways of reinventing that, then surely across all the different things that we we have in the beer uh, portfolio, there's there's so much reinvention or indeed complete originality that can be done. Um, and one thing I, I, I particularly hate is the British used to be the pioneers of beer and everybody followed. And because of the war, because of taxation and the way that our beer industry went, that's got flipped. And now we follow the Americans. And we, depending on who you would ask, are either 10 years or five years behind the Americans. And we only ever do what they've already done before. And we just put our slant on what they've done. So... I don't like that, and I don't think that's the way that we should be as the British. And I'm not pretending I have the answers to it, but I think as the British, we should be trying to rediscover where we once were and stop following and start leading and properly innovate and create something that is new and that is ours. 
It's not just the latest reinterpretation of the American IPA. So that's where I am. And I, like I said, I don't have the answers. But over the course of Brew York's history, I intend to try and find at least one way of answering that question. I, I get what you're saying there in terms of th these interpretations of IPA. But for, for me, there's, a, there's an argument in there in terms of, well, well, are we getting to a point where IPA is purely just three letters? Because we now have these, we have milkshake IPAs. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's what the, the, the brewers of times gone by had in mind when they first produced an India parallel. Is, is that one day it would be turned into a milkshake-flavoured beer that was sugary and sweet. And is, is it a case of we're literally just using those three letters and we're attaching them to any other word that will sell us beer? Oh, you mean in the way that the um, pub chains use the word craft? Uh, yes, craft absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Bloody doom. I'm really going for doom bath today, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. But it'll say four craft ales and you walk in and it's the biggest macro forecast beers you've ever seen in your life and then you walk back out again. But, yeah, it, I mean, the industry, marketeers, businessmen, they, they, they latch on to those three little letters in the way that they latch on to craft because it is marketable. Beyond lager, it is the most recognisable beer style in the world and it is the biggest growth area in beer still. So, yeah, it's understandable that they would do that. But, yeah, it, it, it is what we see now as IPA the correct interpretation? Should it be as broad as it currently is? Probably not. It's only got that broad because people know they can put those three little letters on and they have a better chance of selling their product. It, it's, it's become a phrase that is, is maybe overused. But to, to go back to something you were saying in, t in terms of redefining what it means I, I i think we are getting to a point in the uk where there are a number of british breweries that are beginning to they've they've, they've taken the new england style we, we've gone through that phase of everything tasting sugary and sweet and we're, we're moving on to something else and are do, do you think we're at a point where the uk has almost re redefined what an IPA is? I, I would say in terms of the hazy beer journey, I think we collectively made bad attempts to recreate what the New England style was by throwing lots of oats and wheat into beer and not paying enough attention to um, mass temperatures and the yeast that should be used, for example. Um, and I think the journey that you're seeing, that progression in terms of that style, is the UK now starting to get it right in terms of what that style is supposed to be, in terms of how the Americans do it. So, yeah, we, we, we kind of took a shortcut. We were cheating a bit in the UK and creating hairs through cereal grains when it should have been done through um, yeast and approach to brewing. And I think we've seen that, haven't we, Martin, Re recently with some of the beers that we've featured on the show and, and, and that we've drunk, is that some, some of those hazy IPAs are now, there is a little bit of bitter coming back to them and there, there is there is more than just juice in them. We we are coming full circle to a, a beer that is 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 more akin to, to to that that certainly you and I would enjoy drinking. Yeah, and you know, I think Lee's right. A number of people and breweries just decided to jump on the bandwagon and rush these beers out, and didn't really dial it in 
didn't make sure they were actually balanced. I think you can still have a fruity beer and a fruity hazy pale ale or fruity hazy IPA and still be balanced. What we were getting were a bit raw, a bit undercooked, too sugary, too cloying, all the wrong things about that, that style of beer if you're trying to create something which is juicy and fruity. So I think we've got definitely dialed it in. But I suppose if we go back to what you were saying, Lee, that still means we're just still catching up on what the US had already done five years previous. Yeah, and I mean, the, the style that you were just describing there, Steve, where you, you're getting kind of a hybrid of the styles where they're kind of juicy and hazy, but they do have some of that satisfying bitterness. That's now a defined style. That's called the Mountain IPA. But it's this is the way the industry goes. It's, 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 it becomes marketing, doesn't it? So yeah, yeah. So so do you do you still think that we are still five years behind the states, or or or, or do you think we're closing that gap? Well, I think we've closed that gap. I would say we're about two years behind now. I I, I would like to see us leave. I think the gap's absolutely closed, um, but we're still following what they do. So there's still bit of a lag there but we do lead on the traditional cask side that a lot of american brewers know love and appreciate that well-entrenched traditional style of brewing beer and dispense and storage is still much loved isn't it yeah there's this beautiful reciprocity between us and the u.s where i've had brewers come over here and they're like, you need to taste my ESB. It's amazing. I made this most beautiful ESB. So I've got an American talking to me about an ESB. And there I am trying to get him to drink my Nipah. It's <laughs> The world's gone mad. But then that's what I'm saying. So there are styles of ours. All right. They may not be new to us, but for the ones they're trying to interpret that have been centuries in the making over here, so there is still an element where what we produce like leads. But now, you know, I definitely think there is still originality in brewing. It's just fine margins of originality these days. Yeah, I would agree. I, th- I think there's skill, still scope for originality, but boy, it's never been as challenging to find it as it is right now. That's, that's an interesting comment, actually, and it, it will be interesting to see where things go in the next... 12 to 18 months in terms of the, the, the sorts of beers that we're beginning to taste and the the, the styles of beers that, that the breweries are putting out. I, th- I think the comments that we've discussed tonight were really just a, a snapshot of, of, of what we had on, on this poll. And as always, there were a load of comments. We couldn't include them all. But if you want to continue to get involved in this discussion, use the hashtag opinions and we will find you and you can get involved in the future. I just want to say at this point, Lee, thank you for being a great supporter of of the podcast. You've kept us very well watered over the last few years (laughs) in in terms of the beers that you sent us to try. Um, We will be eternally grateful for you allowing us to fulfil a bucket list moment and and come up and and brew that beer with, with you and have our images forever emblazoned on on, on a can, <laughs> even if it's never coming back again. We we were there for, for for a while, and and we are we are really grateful for that. And and it has been absolutely fantastic to have you finally 
join us live on 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 a show because we've we've done some bits with you before you did you, you did one of our live um events on 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 the summer session earlier this year where you did a, a fantastic live brewery tour and tasting and 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 then stayed with us for the evening thank you so much for giving up your time and and and, and chatting to us the, the, this evening we are very very grateful um to, to to you for everything you've done for us oh it's um absolutely my pleasure gents you know the respect is mutual you you know i've um watched you guys from afar for a while so yeah, it's been a privilege to do this with you guys yeah thanks very much lee definitely everything steve said echo and I will just also just take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners that completed our listener survey. That is now closed. We've had some fantastic responses on, on that. Uh, Martin and I will be taking the time over Christmas to have a read through of all of the responses. And, and what we're going to do, much as we did, I think, the last time we did a listener survey, we actually did a show going through some of the responses so we're gonna we're gonna do that in the new year we're gonna pick out some of the responses we're gonna spend a show talking about what you've told us you like and dislike and, and and talking through some of those things so look out for that in the new year martin what is coming up on the next show it's got two titles it's either the end of year show or where the wheels come off depending on your uh, your point of view and also depending on how many beers steve wants to ridiculously add to what we might be drinking on the night. So obviously years gone by, we used to do the end of year show together. So we'd free, drink three or four beers together. Now we drink three or four beers separately. So And they're normally big beers as well, aren't they? They're always big beers. There's always big beers, Steve. And I, I've got no doubt in, in even in the next two weeks, you're going to think, oh, I have an idea. Uh, another one will land in that list. Um, so yeah, beer of the years, um, our thoughts about the whole year, highlights of the year. Um, and obviously there's been a few few low moments, but we're going to stick to talking about the positives of 2021 and um, try and stop the wheels coming off. Talking of big beers, let's get final thoughts on the release the Kranaken be- before we finish. I am absolutely loving what, what's in my glass here. I, I think it it literally does everything that it says on the tin. In, in terms of it being a dessert in the glass, it is very raspberry dominant, but it's as, I, I mean, I, I bought this beer right up to room temperature to, to drink it tonight because I, I didn't want to lose any of those flavors as it's continued to warm in my glass, that there are more flavors coming through. The booziness still isn't really there for me, which is, it's, it's a worry on, on, a, on a 9% beer. And it's certainly a worry to, to finish on, on, on such a beer, but it is, it is very, very drinkable. And, and it's one that really um, showcases the, 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 the two breweries that have been involved in it. Uh, you see, I would have the uh, pastry sour as my dessert beer of the evening. And I would say this is my after dinner coffee because it's light it's not boozy. It's still plenty of flavour, but I'd actually, I actually think the the sour had a slightly thicker mouthfeel, so it had more of that dessert beer quality. So it's almost like basically we've had four courses. So we had an aperitif with the Big Eagle, or maybe even a starter with the Big Eagle, pre pre recording. Well, yeah, I was going to say which folk wouldn't have heard us drinking because that was a that was a pre recording beer. Then we did, yeah, but no one's going to be surprised. That was a pre-recording <laughs> true, bit. True, true. Then into the Red Danson, and then we had the pastry pastry sour, and then we've basically got the after-dinner coffee, which I would actually say almost feels like the lightest beer in some respects. 
especially the way the red dance had already developed until the, more of that softer, fuller mouthfeel. The the pastry sour definitely had a thicker mouthfeel than this. At 9%, this is just feels like an after-dinner coffee, which is stupidly dangerous. And it's got that dryness, which makes you come back to it at the back end of it as well. Lee, is this is this where you hoped it would be, this, this, this beer? Is this what you wanted from when, when you came together with Fine to, to come up with a concept? Is this is this is this the final product of, of, of what you were hoping for? Um, I, I think it was it was challenging to bring that many different types of flavors together and then trying to create something that um, is something that a lot of people recognize. So I, I think we've ticked most of the boxes. Um, I think one of the things you're describing as a plus in terms of it, it not having massive body, I would say is a negative. I, I would say there we probably could have done better. Uh, I would like to have seen this with a slightly thicker body. But had we achieved that, maybe the alcohol presents itself more. Who knows? Depends what you're, you're going for, I guess. But yeah, mostly, yeah, happy with this. Well, once again, thank you for providing the beers for tonight's show. Thank you for giving up your time to join us. And and, and again, thank you for everything you've done for, for, for the podcast. We are truly appreciative. We'll look forward to um, sharing some more opinions with our listeners again very, very soon. Cheers. 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 Cheers.